Hey, good morning again, church. Uh, you know, we are, uh, wow, this is the first Sunday of the new year. I think it's important as we look ahead to 2021, 20, we, we, well, many of us will think that we're so glad 2020 is over, but as we look ahead to 2021, we need to take a, a quick glance back. Uh, we don't want to linger on this last year, but it's good to look back to see where we've been because it helps direct us in where we are going. I believe that one of the areas in 2020 where we might look back and realize that uh, we have been so affected and in, impacted and, and possibly even changed is in the area of relationships, area of relationships, relationships with people. See, we've been adjusting to this present normal, and we've been met with opportunities, but as well, we have been met with significant challenges in making, keeping, maintaining relationships as if it wasn't hard enough already, as if relationships weren't difficult enough already, having to wear masks, being socially distant from one another, uh, schooling from home, working from home, size limits at our social gathering, why even those killer long lines at Chick-fil-A, oh wait, they had long lines before COVID. You know, but all those things have impacted our ability to have our relationships, whether they're at work, whether they're at home, whether they're in line with perfect strangers who we now can't see whether they're smiling or not and have to stand six feet away from them. As we step into 2021 as human beings, but especially as those who follow after Jesus Christ, I believe that it's important for us to do all that we can to relate to each other in ways that is seeking the absolute best for the other person. And I believe that while well, doing so is often easier when we get our direction and our guidance from the pages of the Bible. Now, some people might misguidedly see the Bible as simply a, a big, thick book full of rules, of do's and of don'ts. When in reality, Jesus tells us that when it comes to relationships, when it comes to following after him, it's really based on two main rules, two main requirements, and they deal with relationship between us and God and relationship between us and others. In fact, Josh shared these words in his teaching last week, but it's so valuable, I think we're going to kick off our teaching this, this morning with those words as well. It's from Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus is being challenged with the idea of well, which of all these commandments is the most important. And Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Let's think about those things as we pray. Jesus, we thank you that um, you didn't give us a list of do's and don'ts, that you didn't give us a list of rules, a checkbox of things to follow or not follow, but you said, hey, when it comes to following after me, it boils down to two things. Have a good relationship with God and have a good relationship with others. And all those other ways that we act and react or don't act and react toward other people, well, those will just all fall into place. And those words, Jesus, were good as we wrapped up 2020. I think those words are equally good as we begin 2021, as we look ahead to this year and say, oh, how do I come to a better relationship with, with my Savior? It's to love God with all of our heart and to love our neighbor as ourself. 
Help us to do that. Help us to keep that in mind as we go through this teaching today and as we live our lives in 2021. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we step boldly into 2021, we're starting our um, teaching series this year with a series we are calling Relationship Killers. Now, it's possible that in your mind, as you heard the title, that you've already begun to process through some relationship struggles or things that have actually been killers to relationships, things that either you have experienced personally or things that you have experienced as you've seen other people's relationships suffer. So in this new series, we're taking a look at four potential relationship killers, things that can wreak havoc on our lives and the lives of those people that are around us. And we're going to look at how those killers can, can, how they can create contention in our relationships, but also how God's word helps give us the wisdom to develop and to grow in overcoming these areas so that they will not become destructive habits in our lives. Maybe as you are thinking through what are the top relationship killers that you've experienced, that you've witnessed, I'm wondering if today's relationship killer might not be one that fits your thought process. I know it certainly didn't fit mine. When I think of relationship killers, this one didn't hit high on the top of the, of the you know, this lands couples in divorce court, you know, kind of list. This doesn't end on the, the friendship, obvious friendship breaker, right? I would not usually think of this one. In fact, I would consider today's contention causer to be a silent killer, one that kind of sneaks into our relationships. It sneaks into our lives, and it, it is a killer that we don't really talk much about. In fact, it's usually the killer that we think is somebody else's issue. And today's relationship killer is greed. It's greed. According to Merriam-Webster, greed is defined as a selfish and excessive desire for more of something than is needed, such as money. Vocabulary.com further gives us some history on this idea of greed, where our word comes from gredig or voracious, which means always hungry for more. Wow, isn't that a great descriptor of this idea of greed? Always hungry for more. Pope Gregory I in the 6th century made a list of what we now know of as the seven deadly sins. The seven deadly sins later elaborated on by St. Thomas Aquinas. These were the sins that were considered seven sins or seven vices that spurred on other sins. And they furthered immoral behavior. Their pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. Now, when I think of the description of this very word greed and the association that comes with that word itself, it's easy to see how dangerous and how devastating the sin of greed can be and just how debilitating it can become to our relationships. Greedy people. We all know them, right? In fact, you probably have some idea in your head, some people who you would label as greedy people. You've got their names at the forefront of your brain. Please don't share them with the people sitting next to you. And if you're online, please don't put those in the comments, right? Keep those to yourself. But think about those greedy people, right? See, greedy people, um, well, oftentimes, might maybe describes to us the, the, the CEO of a major corporation whose success was built on the backs of underpaid an underbenefited worker. Perhaps greed, a greedy person to you, might be the career politician whose paycheck and perks far outweigh the plight 
of the constituents that are under their care. Agreed to you might describe the individual of extreme wealth who seems to have little or no concern for the less fortunate or those with less of a fortune and seek only to promote and advance their well-being. Greedy to you might describe those who hold the opinion that if they don't have it, well, then they must not deserve it or they haven't worked hard enough to get it. Or maybe, and you think of a greedy person, you're thinking of the individuals who may not have all that they want or think that they deserve and they believe that if they can't have it, then nobody else should have it either. Oh, those greedy people. You know, when we think of greed, we almost always think of somebody else, somebody other, some other person, that other person's issue, right? But we've all got issues, don't we? We, we none of us are anywhere close to being perfect. In fact, here at Fork, we often say that we are just a bunch of imperfect people seeking after a very perfect God. You know, in all my years of life and in all my years of ministry, I've had countless conversations with people about their issues. I've had people share with me about their addiction to their substances. I've had people tell me about their struggle with their laziness. I've had people confess to me their unfaithfulness. I've had people talk, talk openly to me about their anger issues. In my time that I've spent helping friends and loved ones walk through their relationship issues, people are often very open about pride and, and stubbornness and a lack of forgiveness and lies and miscommunication. But I can't recall a single time where someone came to me and said, Virgil, I have a problem. I'm greedy. No one says, well, greed is my struggle. Greed is my problem. Greed is my sin. Greed is what's standing in the way of my relationship with God. And greed is what's standing in the way of my relationship with others. No one says, I'm greedy. Have you ever said the words, I'm greedy? Well, maybe we've thought that we're greedy. Maybe, but we've softened them a little bit because our egos can't handle being said that we're greedy. So we soften a little bit. We might say things like, well, I know I'm a little selfish sometimes. Or I can be just a little bit too driven for success. Greed is one of those attitudes that we just don't always admit, right? It's easy to see in others, but we don't want to see it in ourselves and we're not often looking for it in ourselves. You know, when you're driving on the road and you're in a construction zone, there's oftentimes some warning signs that flash your speed to remind you that you're going too fast for the posted limit or going too fast for what's safe in that area. Many of you, if you have a newer car, it has a deal that sends an alarm, gives a warning when you drift out of your lane into somebody else's. In our homes, we have smoke detectors that warn us when there's a fire or something cooking too hot on the stove, right? We have, we have uh, doorbells and security cameras that tell us when there is a potential trespasser. They warn us. We get a warning notification if something happens that changes our credit score. We get a warning notification that tells us it's time to change our password. And then it tells us we need a strong password with lowercase and uppercase and numbers and a special character. Think about your life. When you're stealing, you know it. 
when you're lusting, you know it. When we're ex- exhibiting some serious road rage, well, we know it. Sadly, unlike many other relationship killers, we don't always get a warning. So we don't always look or see or recognize that we have greed in our own lives. And that that greed is creating and causing disruption and disagreement and distractions. And it gives us all these divisions in our relationships. I confess to you this morning that preparing to teach this message on greed has caused me to look deeper into areas of my life than I would have liked to have. And I will declare it publicly. First Sunday of 2021, sometimes I'm greedy. I'm not just being frugal. I'm not just sort of selfish. Sometimes I am being greedy. I, I, don't, I don't allow what I have to simply be enough. Sometimes when I have more than what I need, I want to keep it for myself and not give it or share it with somebody else. And in the process, I recognize that I allow relationships to suffer. Greed, my friends, doesn't happen only when we're rich. Greed is not specific to any social class or economic class. Greed, as we learned before, is that hunger, that desire for more. And that's so true. But it can also be us just having more than enough and not being willing to share. It can be a lack of contentment for what it is that we do already have or just wanting what others have instead. We've all heard that the grass is greener on the other side. It's probably not. And we've been, uh, we bought this idea that we need to keep up with the Joneses. Now, if your last name is Jones, I apologize that y'all got stuck with that tagline. But the reality is that when we are controlled by greed, they can, we can be led to covet. We, we can be led into conflict. We just have this burning desire for more and more cash. You see, greed becomes deadly as it leads to deception and it leads to lies, even theft, distrust, division, and in many cases, ultimately, debt. When we're controlled by greed, we find that our relationships become a means to an end rather than the end itself. Our relationships begin to exist for what we can get from another person as opposed to what we can give to pour into that relationship. And that in the process of gaining and keeping wealth that we lose the very relationship with others that are the most important to us. You see, as we climb the ladder of accumulation of wealth and possessions, it is those who are closest to us who often become the rungs on which we step in order to arrive there. Our children can easily take the back seat to our success. Our spouses experience the fallout of our bad financial decisions. Our friends can become pawns simply to be played. And the stranger in the crowd just becomes somebody to completely ignore. And as we strive for the amassing of wealth and the accumulation of possessions, 
I hope that in 2021 that we will see the warning signs in order to have a genuine lack of contentment growing up in us, in in order that we would not be buy into this consuming desire for control or a blatant disregard for the effect of our actions on others. And so how do we do that? How do we combat this killer of relationships that we call greed? The apostle Paul, who wrote much of our New Testament, was encouraging a young pastor named Timothy in the book we call First Timothy. Uh, pa- Paul was speaking to Timothy, bringing him along, mentoring him as an apprentice. And he gives us three important lessons, I believe, to help us guard our relationships from greed. You see, the first one is if we want to keep greed from killing our relationships, we have to choose to live lives of contentment. 1 Timothy 6, starting at verse 1, Paul writes, Teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. And isn't a godly life what we are striving for? Isn't our desire to love God more and to love people better? He goes on to say, anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, and slander, and evil suspicions. Uh, These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. I love the little warning here. Anytime godliness that is there just to promote wealth or produce wealth, well, it's just a show. And Paul goes on to say, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. That's such a good line. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world and we can't take anything with us when we leave. So, If we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Can you just hear Paul overstating the obvious here? We can never be poorer than when we began. Socrates, an ancient Greek philosopher, said these words. He said, he who is not contented with what he has would not be contented with what he would like to have. I got to quote that once this week. It was very fun, actually. Even us, think about it. Americans, right? In our Declaration of Independence, it declares that we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights that are among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And many of us, as Americans, we believe that we have the right to be happy. We have the right to success. We have the right to riches. We have the right to possessions. And when we're not given them or achieve them, we become quite discontent. And while it's true that we have the right to pursue them, and we're welcome to pursue them, there's no guarantee that we're going to have them. And we have to recognize that greed, when it comes into the picture, can place our perceived rights and desires above the rights and desires of others. We just finished the Christmas season. Think about Ebenezer Scrooge, right? In A Christmas Carol, his life was consumed with greed. 
Think about Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Remember that story? You know, Willy Wonka's going to let people in to see his, his fantastic, you know, chocolate, uh, you know, palace and, and, and all of his chocolate works. And there were these golden tickets. And it was a scrambling and fighting and backstabbing all the greed to try to obtain those golden tickets. Well, just this week, my wife and I, um, we went to see um, the new Wonder Woman movie, and I will not be giving away the, the, the plot. I will not be a spoiler. But in Wonder Woman 84, I can safely say that the greed that was communicated, that it was a vivid reminder of how this can be such a killer of relationships. Paul keeps talking about combating our propensity for greed through living a life of contentment by answering, here's why to live contented. Here's why to be contented in our lives. He says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Let's make sure we see this right here. Money is not evil. It is the love of money which becomes the root of all kinds of evil. Friends, going forward into 2021, we must allow Jesus to be the Lord of our money and our possessions or our money and our possessions will become Lord over us. I think Paul goes on to tell us that if we want to keep greed from killing our relationships, then we have to choose to live lives of consistency. We have to choose to live lives of consistency. Consistency. First Timothy 6, starting in verse um, 11, he says, But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you, before God, who gives life to all, and before Jesus Christ, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey this command without wavering, then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. It's like he's saying, Timothy, listen, be consistent in your faith. Run, pursue, fight, hold, obey without wavering. Timothy, this isn't a Christmas and Easter, you know, kind of way of life. This isn't a show up, you know, on a Sunday kind of way of life. He says, this is a choose to love God and love others without wavering way of life. And if you and I, if we do so, there will be no place and no way for greed to affect and impact our relationships. And Paul goes on to say, it'll be worth it. At just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. He alone can never die. And he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen. You see, friends, if we want also... I believe Paul is saying if we want to keep greed from killing our relationships, we have to choose to live lives of care. We've got to choose to live lives of care. Paul goes on in verse 17. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. And some of us are sitting here thinking, I'm off the hook because I'm not rich. That's not me. Well, friends, you're an American, right? We are the richest country in the world. So who's rich? I'm rich, 
you're rich. We're all rich. We're not off the hook, right? Teach those who are rich not to be proud, not to trust in their money. Says their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them, that's us, to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And by doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Friends, we serve a generous God who richly gives us all that we need. How can we not be generous as well? If you want to experience true life in your relationships, then we have to demonstrate care with our money. We have to demonstrate care by our works. We have to demonstrate care by our sharing and show our care with our generosity. Not out of fear, not out of pressure, not out of compulsion, but because we can. Because we can. Noah Ben Shea says, either the key to a man's wallet is in his heart, or the key to a man's heart is in his wallet. So unless you express your charity, you are locked inside your greed. What do we do? How do we do this? I believe that it's easy to demonstrate a life of care if we'll just take a moment and look for the opportunities. It's easy to live the life that God's calling us to if we'll just look for the chances to do so. Uh, on Monday, I, uh, my wife took me to Chick-fil-A through the drive-thru uh, to celebrate my successful ligament repair surgery on my thumb. And in front of us, It was an older gentleman, and on on the tag around his license plate, it was very clear that he was a Marine veteran. This older gentleman drove into the Chick-fil-A, and he ordered his meal, and he ordered a coffee. I never quite understood how coffee went with a Chick-fil-A sandwich meal, but no judgment, man. He's a Marine veteran. He can do what he wants, right? So he orders his meal, and he orders a coffee, and then he drives around, and he goes to the pickup window, and much to his pleasure, and to mine and Barb's as we witness this thing, the girl comes out, and she gives him his order and says, sir, the car in front of you paid for your meal. What a blessing, right? We get to experience those things. Through the month of December, I've had people bring me gift cards and bring me cash. It says, Virgil, distribute this. Give it to somebody who you know could really use that right now. And those are fantastic. You see, we will have an easy opportunity to show care if we will simply look for the opportunities. And, you know, although we can easily become discontented people, we can be inconsistent people, we can be by our nature kind of non-caring people, we really think about it. We are drawn to those people who we see exhibiting generosity. We are drawn to those people who are living life with their hand open. Not because we want to go take from their hand, But because when we see the joy that they have, we see the care that they show, we want to go hand in hand with them and begin making a difference in the lives of other people to ensure that greed doesn't take over our relationships. Now, it's possible that whether you're watching online or whether you're sitting in the room today that your toes feel a little stepped on. Mine definitely were stepped on as I prepared to teach about greed. But this is not the time to sit and feel 
to feel judged. It's not. This is not the time for judgment. This is a time for us to experience change. This is a time for us to experience not judgment, but rather change in direction. The Bible calls that repentance. It's where we choose to think differently about something, and we give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to make that change in our lives, to change the way that we are thinking because we have chosen uh, to, to make that change. We change what we're thinking. The Spirit changes our actions and again, this is not the time to feel judged. This is the time to accept the forgiveness that Christ offers when we realize that we have led a much more greedy life that we want to give ourselves credit for. If we want to stop allowing greed to kill our relationships, no matter our past, we need to choose to move from greed to contentment, to choose from, move from greed to consistency, and to choose to move from greed to care. It's 2021. There's no better time than now. Why don't we start doing that today? I want to close with a prayer from the book of Proverbs. It's Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. And the writer says, Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Now, God, this might not be the prayer that we would specifically choose to pray, although I'm glad that the writer of the Proverbs prayed this. It's all about being content, it's all about being consistent. And it's all about being people of care. As we enter this new year, Lord, help us. We beg you, change our hearts, make them more like yours. Change our hearts, make them care more about others. Help us to live contentedly, consistently, and full of care. In Jesus' name, amen.